month ahead of where we were last year as far as uh, deer. You know, they've, they've had an extra month on some of these transitional ranges. Now, every unit's different. Some deer, you know, they go right to critical winter range. There's not a lot of transitional range between uh, where they summer and where they winter. Um, but, you know, a lot of places, you know, they'll migrate, you know, miles. And so if they can hole up in these transitional areas, uh, they'll use that feed and that will conserve feed that is on the critical winter range. The Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Good morning, Rockcast world. Robbie Denning here. I'll be your host today. I uh, am a podcaster with no podcast studio, so I record in various places, uh, closets, libraries, trucks. So sometimes you're going to hear a lot of background noise. Not much I can do about it. So anyways, today I wanted to give you an update on winter range, kind of what's going on with the mule deer migration. It is uh, mid-December right now, and as I've probably worn everybody's ear out talking about hard winters, but I've always talked about it being really cyclical. And so far, it's swinging the other way. We're mid-December, and I've scouted some winter range, talked to lots of guys, and most places in the Intermountain West, the deer are just starting to congregate on the lower winter ranges. Now, the, the way mule deer migrations work in most places, you get deer on the winter range in October. Well, I mean, sometimes you got deer on winter range year-round. <clears throat> I wrote an article a couple of years ago called Big Bucks on Winter Range Year-Round. Some of the biggest bucks I've ever seen have been bucks that have stayed on winter range year-round. It's, it's rare but it does happen. I don't know if it's just because they get old and they don't want to migrate or they're just really smart. I don't know. But um, so you've, you've always got some deer on the winter range, no doubt. Uh, but it's like a bell curve. And so as we get later into typically November, uh, early November is when there's usually a, a bigger push for deer getting to winter range. And that's what I've seen all year. It's just been kind of a trickle. Uh, but last year, by early November, you know, we had significant snow on, on most winter ranges, especially in the, in the you know, northern Rockies, you know, Idaho and uh, western Wyoming, you know, kind of around in there. We, we, we had significant snow and significant movement of deer on the winter range. Well, we have not seen that this year. The deer are slowly coming to winter range. That means they're able to use the transitional areas between their summer range and their winter range and, uh, and, and these holdover areas where they can stop. For even a week or two, that really makes a difference. There's hardly a biologist out there that will argue with the fact that the best winter range deer have are on their backs. The more fat they can have coming to winter range, the better. So when they're able to stop in these um, transition areas and stay for a couple of weeks, that just deducts from the amount of time that they're going to have to spend on what biologists call critical winter range. Critical winter range, just a loose definition of this is it. This is the last stand. You can't go any any lower, any milder. You know, this is this is critical, and uh, that's that's the the it's th those are those places are identified in in a, in a lot of states. In fact, our good friends at the Mule Deer Foundation, you've probably heard their ad playing on the Rockcast. Yep, uh, that's a that is a free ad we give them. We sponsor the Mule Deer Foundation because we believe in all the work that they do. And one of the things that they do is they protect critical winter range. So, back to the transitional areas. A lot of the deer are just now getting to. I mean, some of them aren't even on critical winter range yet. They're just getting onto winter range. Uh, so this is good. This, you know, mid-December, that means we, you know, we're a month ahead of where we were last year as far as uh, deer. You know, they've, they've had an extra month on some of these transitional ranges. Now, every unit's different. Some deer, you know, they go right to critical winter range. There's not a lot of transitional range between uh, where they summer and where they winter. 
Um, but, you know, a lot of places, you know, they'll migrate, you know, miles. And so if they can hole up in these transitional areas, uh, they'll use that feed and that will conserve feed that is on the critical winter range. So uh, looking at the weather, we're in an El Nino pattern right now. That usually means the central to northern Rockies get a, a little milder winter. And that's what we're seeing. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have individual storms that are knocked knock your socks off and you know cold it, it's just more about patterns and and trends and so the pattern seems to be that the northern rockies are, are doing pretty good typically in the el nino years the storms go on the southern track of the jet stream so the the, the the maybe the southwest might pick up a little more water that's always a good thing they're always burning up down there and they're coming off of a good water year uh, and so you know that's that's the great thing about mule deer they're always in flux you know they get down and then they get back up and so you know too soon to tell but right now it's looking really good for deer arriving at the winter range in good shape and uh, in the in the really in the areas that had a lot of winter kill um, there's not a lot of deer to compete with on the winter range and that's partly what helps them get on their on their feet too is is you know less deer to compete with deer compete with deer especially when the uh, resource is limited and uh, that's why you know we get high deer populations and then they crash but then they can recover and so we definitely in these hard hit areas that we've talked about so much on the rock cast um, those deer should be getting a leg up with, you know, lots of open habitat, a lot less competition. Um, it's, it's kind of a swear word to, to shoot does. And when I don't think we should be shooting any right now with, uh, with the low deer population that we're seeing, and there's hardly any doe hunting in the West right now to speak of anyways. Um, but you know, when deer populations are high, those does and fawns compete with each other for food. So, you know, they, they, they should be really good shape now that we're coming on to less crowded winter range uh coming off of a good water year that's always the good thing about a hard winter you got good water good feed so uh you can see i'm a little bit giddy to be to be seeing that, th that this is happening i would be really bummed if we were already having a hard winter uh january can change uh, it can change a lot of things i saw that happen in 2007 we had a very mild fall and then january came and it just pounded us you know so you're never totally out of the woods but i'd much rather be in the situation we're in now than we were last year so okay today i'm just gonna uh i'm jumping back into my book we're covering clothing systems and optic packages and as i've reminded you on other episodes of the rock cast this book was written in, in 2015 so it's you know eight going on nine years now so some of this stuff is dated but i'm just going to get it out there i'll give a little bit of an update uh at the end after i read the chapters on what has changed but i'll just read it word for word the way it was written and then and do an update at the end so uh so here we go guys we're going to jump into clothing probably second only to my weapon is my clothing's importance to killing big mule deer if not properly clothed, humans get cold in temperatures much below 60 degrees. Some of the best mule deer hunting occurs in extreme temperatures, both hot and cold, and you must have the clothing necessary to hunt effectively. For years, I used the affordable wool and polypropylene products widely available for my insulating layers. I'd also use a jacket with a breathable membrane for my outer layer to block wind and moisture. With high-end mountaineering style clothing now available to hunters through companies such as First Light and Cryptic, and my finances improving, I've started using these products with success. The clothing is lighter than the traditional products and the comfort level is much better. Depending on the garment, performance is usually better too. These companies also offer merino wool base layers that are much more comfortable and retain far less odor than traditional wool. I've been using merino from First Light the last two years and will never go back to the polypropylene underwear I used to use. Merino might not be as durable, but it functions so much better in the scent control and wicking ability departments. I still wear some cotton during hot weather hunts, but for the most part, I'm wearing high functioning synthetics and wools throughout the fall and early winter. Layering is still the best system, so I select my clothing based on that principle. Often I'm wearing the same base layer in December that I was in August. It's just that the December hunt requires many more layers. If I'm riding horseback or glassing a lot in freezing temperatures, I add a coverall that covers my chest all the way to my feet. You can retain a lot of heat when you do that. 
I mentioned earlier the great advancements in gear that sprang from the War on Terror. Cryptic Outdoor Group was founded by Butch Whiting and Josh Cleghorn, soldiers who served together in the uh, Ninwa Providence in northern Iraq. Butch and Josh discovered that they had a common passion for big game hunting in extreme environments, and they channeled that passion into launching Cryptic when they completed their service to our country. Cryptic now specializes in ultra-high-performance technical and outdoor apparel. As of press time, I have my first piece of cryptic gear on order, a Dalabar 2 jacket designed as part of a layering system. While I can't offer personal experience with cryptic gear, many of the hardcore hunters on Rockslide swear by its performance, durability, and functionality. I'm sure I won't be disappointed. I do need to emphasize that whatever clothing you select, it needs to be relatively quiet. A big mule deer's best defense is his hearing, and it's a rare hunter who realizes how often a buck detects him by the sound he makes. If you don't worry about noisy clothing, you might as well not worry about whispering when you talk in the deer woods either. If your budget doesn't allow for high-end clothing, then no worries. Notice in most of the photos in this book I'm wearing clothing that would be considered substandard by many of today's hunters. The bucks didn't seem to care what I was wearing when I pulled the trigger, and at the time those clothes were what I could afford and still have money to left to chase bucks. So that's my short chapter on clothing. I like I said, very dated. I wanted to give you an update on that. Uh, what I'm what I'm doing now. I've continued with Cryptic and First Light for the most part. Um, I have added uh, Sitka's uh, some of their early season bow hunting lines uh, are, have, have been great, and. Um, I won't go, you know, piece by piece, uh, but uh, but good good gear is worth it. I, I mean, you can get by with the Walmart stuff. You really can, as I said in there. But if your if your budget allows it, spend some time on Rockslide and the clothing forum. Look at the reviews that the members are posting, and then also look at the reviews that our staff has posted because we we're covering it all. Um, all. All those manufacturers I just mentioned, um, Born Primitive that that came out here in the last year. Um, they're competing with some of these companies with some good gear. We we reviewed some of that stuff. Most of it's done very well. Um, hope I'm not leaving anybody out, but uh, but it, it it's worth it. And there's always this battle um, on Rockslide between the guys that are like, oh, all you need is blue jeans and a plaid shirt. Uh, okay, go go wear all that stuff. That's fine. But I can tell you what, that stuff will kill you in really bad weather. And uh, a lot of my success as a buck hunter has come in late seasons and, um, you know, the safety of that type of clothing, but, you know, just the comfort of it. But I don't want to make it sound like the clothing of yesteryear couldn't do it either. It did. The the, the wools and every the polypropylenes that I used to wear, they did fine. They were just heavier and they stunk. Um, they may have even been a little more durable than some of the more modern stuff. Um, for my late season, you know, I'm, I'm wearing mostly first light the last couple of seasons. And I'll be honest, I go through a puffy jacket about every three years. Um, I still have my old wool rich wool coat that I think I bought it in 91, probably wore it to 2011. You know, I had years on that thing and, you know, a few holes here and there, but I could pull it out of the closet and wear it right now. So, so that stuff was definitely, you know, more durable, but it was heavy and wool gets heavy when it's wet and, you know, and just the smell. I, I used to just think that was just part of the game and you do kind of get used to it, but when the smell is gone, and then you smell it again, it's like, Ugh, I don't want to wear that. Uh, so anyways, um, de I'm definitely no expert on all this stuff, but uh, but there's a lot of guys on Rockside that are talking about it every day. And, uh, you know, a lot of our riders um, have, have, have used a lot of that gear. Uh, uh, Tony Treach uh, probably knows every single piece of Sitka gear that's out there. Josh Boyd, same thing. They've both exclusively worn Sitka for years, um, and they could wear anything they want in the industry. Any clothing company would sign them up to promote their gear, and they stay with Sitka, so that tells you a lot about that. Um, Jared Bloomgren, uh, Cryptic, and, and I've owned a ton of Cryptic. Their Altitude line has been great for me. Um, that Dalibor jacket that I mentioned in the reading, uh, that served me well for a couple years, but then I got into their fleece lines, uh, their Vellus lines, uh, very warm, um, very durable stuff, you know, it, good, good, hardcore stuff, a little bit heavier, but, uh, but good stuff. Um, Born Primitive, I haven't personally got to wear that, but Howard Me, one of our riders, he's been testing it out, so is Ross Russell. Um, I might be missing somebody else. They sent some out to several of our guys. And uh, so anyways, if you're, if you're getting into the clothing world, take a look at Rockslide. And if you want to save some money and you don't mind shopping around, some of this stuff ends up on our classifieds for, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. And uh, if, if, it's, if it's good, 
durable stuff, um, it, it's worth picking up. You know, be careful with some of the really lightweight stuff. You know, I might not buy that stuff used um, unless it's just brand new. And there's brand new stuff on our um, classifieds, you know, for whatever reason. Guys bought it and, you know, kept it around for a year or two, never wore it. Uh, so I'll always check the rock slides classifieds and uh, and be careful when you're in there too. We, we work hard to protect it from spammers. In fact, don't be mad when you get in there and you find out you have to have a certain post count to be able to to actually buy and sell anything. That's to protect you so that a spammer can't just, you know, cruise in there and, and start scamming everybody and they're gone. They have to actually be part of the community. So anyways, uh, okay, let's move into the next chapter. I know everybody's going to like this one. This is the optics package. Now remember, this is what I was running in 2015. The Rockcast is powered by the number one GPS hunting app in the industry, Onyx Hunt. The Onyx Hunt Elite subscription will provide way more value than the $100 annual fee will cost you, and that's before you apply the 20% Rockcast promo code. You'll use Onyx on every hunt, every planning session, and now save money with exclusive deals on gear from the industry's best. Onyx Elite also includes application and draw odds tools, educational resources for all species, exclusive mapping and scouting tools, and last but not least, access to nationwide coverage and now Canada. Onyx Hunt Elite is trusted by millions. Onyx has also released new features to help make hunters more successful. Already known for nationwide public and private land ownership and being a fully functional GPS without service, Onyx Hunt has just released new aerial imagery options like Leaf Off, recent imagery updated every two weeks with historic look back and imagery on demand. On top of that, Onyx is reinventing the trail camera market by syncing your hunt app with multiple cell camera manufacturers and helping organize and analyze your photos. You can also now view your maps in dash when driving to your next hunting location. These are just a few of the many updates Onyx has for this hunting season. So try Onyx Hunt for free for seven days or go to onyxmaps.com and use promo code ROCKCAST for 20% off your new Onyx Hunt membership. Optics Package Besides my weapon and my warm clothing, my optics are my most important piece of gear. But knowing how to choose and use them is just as important as carrying them. I'll cover glassing technique later in the book. Here I'll show you how I consider and choose optics. Over the last few decades, I've learned that I need three types of optics. A binocular in the seven or eight power range, preferably rangefinder equipped. A spotting scope in the 20 to 60 power range. And a 15 to 20 power tripod mounted binocular. Binoculars. Because mule deer hunting is typically an active pursuit, I've found that low powers of seven or eight X serve me best. A steadier viewing image trumps more magnification in my book, and the lower power binoculars deliver that steadiness. I also prefer the wider field of view of a lower power to catch bucks in the peripheral view. Finally, lower power binoculars are brighter than their higher power counterparts when all other variables are considered equal. A higher power binocular must have a proportionally bigger objective lens to match the brightness of the lower powers, which adds weight and bulk. I've tried a multitude of 10x to 12x glass and hunted with many hunters who use them. Once in a while, someone who's carrying the higher power binoculars will spot a buck I've missed, but more often I'm showing him bucks that he didn't pick up with the bigger glass. If I'm actually looking at a buck and have time to mount them on a tripod or rest them against a stationary object, then yes, the higher powers are better. However, hunting isn't just looking at bucks, but for bucks. Often I'm still hunting along and need to check something in the distance. I usually can't sit and steady myself and see above the vegetation, nor is there a tree or rock handy to lean against. I have to be able to widen my stance, pull my elbows to my chest, and tighten my optic to my face to get steady. I do this dozens to even hundreds of times in a typical hunting day, and this is why, for me, lower power binoculars are better. With the wider field of view a lower power binocular offers, I'm also more likely to pick up bucks in the peripheral area of the image. I mount my binoculars on a tripod even if I'm on a vantage point. While a higher power has an edge, I still find the lower power works in an excellent fashion from a tripod. It's like studying a photograph shot in high definition. 
I found hundreds of hidden bucks doing this. Most lower power binoculars don't have a quarter 20 insert for a tripod mount, so I just set the binoculars on the flat top of my Manfrotto 342RC2 tripod head, sling the strap around my neck in case I knock them off, and glass away. This saves me time, gadgets, and weight in my pack. You must also learn to properly focus your binoculars to each eye. Some hunters glass a lot but still don't know how to properly focus their binoculars. Virtually everyone has a dominant eye and your binocular must be set first to each eye before your center focus wheel will work at maximum performance. I always set the initial focus of my binoculars while they're mounted on a tripod and on a fixed object with high contrast, like a white barked aspen against a dark background between 300 and 500 yards. Trying to handhold and set the focus will produce subpar results. Depending on the binocular, you usually focus the right eye first on that eyepiece with your left eye closed, then vice versa for the left eye adjusting with the center wheel. Once the optics are set, lock down and note your settings. With your focus set to each eye, now you need to change focus only on the center adjustment, which in the majority of brands adjusts the focus for both eyes simultaneously. I've been carrying a rangefinder for about a dozen years now. If you're hunting with archery or muzzleloader equipment or plan to shoot a rifle beyond 200 yards, do yourself and your quarry a favor and carry a rangefinder. Some argue it's just one more unfair advantage over the animal. So are Gore-Tex spooks if you really want to argue advantages, so I say just get a rangefinder and improve your ability to kill humanely. If you use it right, you'll also know when you need to get closer to make a better shot. The best way to improve your hit-to-miss ratio is to know when to shoot and when to hold your fire. The problem with a rangefinder is that it is just one more gadget hanging around your neck. When rifle hunting, my rangefinder invariably ends up in my pack once I grow tired of having it in the way. When archery or muzzleloader hunting, I keep it around my neck, but it always seems an inconvenience and makes extra noise. Big bucks don't just put up with much noise or movement, even a hundred yards away. Juggling both a binocular and a rangefinder just ups the odds of their detecting me. The solution is to carry a combination binocular rangefinder. I used a Swarovski spotting scope for years with great success and really believed in Swarovski's opti optical performance. In 2014, I started using Swarovski's EL Range 8x42 binoculars. This top tier binocular rangefinder combo solves the problem of fiddling with two instruments. I've put a full season on them now and the ultra clear and bright viewing experience and ruggedness line up with everything else I've come to expect from Swarovski. And I no longer have to carry both a rangefinder and a binocular. The battery life is also exceptional. I never change the battery in the five months between scouting season and hunting season. The rangefinder works between 32 and 2000 yards and rarely do I have to hit the button more than once to get a reading. There is also a built-in inclinometer that calculates the shoot to distance and steep terrain. I've missed big mule deer shooting at steep angles because a bullet doesn't behave like it does when shooting shallow angles. If the angle is enough to change your point of impact, the EL range calculates it. I've tested it in up to 50 degree inclines with superb results. I'm taken back at the edge this one feature gives a hunter in the varied terrain of the west. There is a chink in the armor of the ELs and that is the lower range limit of 32 yards. As a bow hunter, I sometimes need to read distances shorter than that, like when trying to sneak an arrow below a branch at a bedded buck on a steep slope. Talking with other hunters of the ELs, they say if it's shorter than 32 yards, you don't need a rangefinder. I'd almost agree, but would crown the ELs perfect in all categories if they range down to 20 yards. The price is steep, but if you consider you're buying high-end binoculars and a high-end rangefinder simultaneously, the price is easier to swallow. If you can't swing the price tag of the Swarovski, there are other less expensive brands out there. I can't vouch for them as I haven't used them. There's always a debate on how much a hunter should spend on glass. The old axiom, buy the best you can afford is the best guideline. You may have noticed from the older photos that early in my career I used Pentax binoculars. They are certainly not considered high-end binoculars, but I killed many a good buck while using them, including two of my best. As I was able to make more money, I bought better binoculars, but my success didn't jump substantially. It's the hours behind the binoculars that makes the biggest difference. So get that right first before you max out a credit card, hoping Brand X is finally going to get you the big mule deer. If you want to read a pile of reviews on good glass from mid-range to high-range, check out Rockslide and look for the optics reviews. 
We've had a hardcore following, optics following on Rockslide since its inception, and consequently many have good reviews on glass. Spotting scope. A good spotting scope, or spotter as they're often called, is essential in the most deer country in the West. Don't falsely assume a spotter is just for studying antlers. Spotters should be used to spot bucks that are either out of reach of binoculars or ob obscured by shadows and vegetation. I estimate that I carry a spotting scope 80% of the time I'm hunting. The only time I don't is if I'm still hunting or ambush hunting in thick cover. I think a spotting scope is underutilized by many hunters. A good spotter allows you to spot bucks up to five miles away if the conditions are right. When you start covering that much territory, you're far more likely to find a big mule deer. I'm currently using spotters from Swarovski after purchasing my first one in 2003. I've tried Leopold, Zeiss, Bushnell, Bosch and Lom, Vortex, and others, but I think Swarovski is the top spotter out there if you can afford one. If you can't, I'd lean towards Vortex Razor Spotters. Through my association with Rockslide and my field trials, I can tell you get a lot of scope for the money and the world-class customer service with Vortex. What power? I'm often asked what power is best in a spotter. I think you'll spot most bucks around 30 power, as that is where clarity, brightness, and steadiness seem to be the best. Less than 30x, and you're leaving some magnification on the table. But if you're much above 30x, you'll start to see vibrations in real hunting conditions. Wind is the norm. Mirage, less field of view. I spot a lot of bucks in the peripheral view of my optics. You also lose light because the ratio of the objective lens to the ocular lens decreases as magnification increases. A 60x spotter is nice, but you'll find that you spend very little time at 60x in real hunting conditions. In order for 60x to work in low light, you'll need a huge objective lens, ideally in the 80 to 90 millimeter range, which means more weight. Best spotter for the backcountry hunter. If you're on a budget like me, you probably look and wonder at the high-end HD spotting scopes out there and just dream. These scopes are incredible tools for the mule deer hunter, but you could buy a pretty good used pickup for the price. I've always believed you should buy the best optics you can afford, but I must admit there are optics that I can't afford. However, I found about a dozen years ago that you can experience near HD quality at less than half the price. Swarovski makes the CT extendable spotting scope. It looks like the telescopes the old sea captains used in which the sections of the barrel slide inside each other when collapsed. In the CT, this allows for a roof prism design and a lighter, more compact spotting scope than the traditional poro prism designs. While not well known in America, the CT design is popular in Europe. There are two CT scopes available, the CTC 30x75 and comes with a fixed eyepiece, and the CTS 85 that requires you buy an eyepiece. I own the CTC 30x75. I know our local dealer personally, and before my purchase, he let me take a gently used CTC 30x75 spotter outside the shop for a day along with a used 20-60-65mm ATS. I scouted some winter range east of town for a few hours with these scopes. Side by side, the CTC 30x75 was clearer and brighter at the same power than the 20 to 60 by 65 The 75mm objective lens also had a noticeably wider field of view. The CTC is also 10 ounces lighter and 4 inches shorter. As with most things in life, there are trade-offs. Obviously, with the fixed 30 power, I can't zoom in like a variable scope can, but I find anything above 40x power difficult to get steady in real hunting conditions. So I'm really only giving up about 10 power. The dealer told me that because of the collapsing nature of the CT design, they are not sold as waterproof. This concerned me, so I called Swarovski directly. They said that while the CT scopes are not waterproof, one of their biggest U.S. markets for the line is the Alaskan Guides. It doesn't get much wetter than Alaska, so I forked over the 500 bucks for the used scope. I now have my CTC for over a dozen years, spending hundreds of hours looking through it. I can attest that it is a great scope for the money. It has ridden hundreds of miles in a saddlebag and a backpack and has been used well over those miles. It has great edge-to-edge -edge clarity and is usable almost to the end of legal shooting light at reasonable distances. I had minor fogging problems twice in the first few years. I hunt the nasty snowstorms on purpose so my optics get wet a lot. Both times I was able to defog the scope in less than five minutes by warming it with my body heat or direct sunlight. Because I learned to wipe the inner tube off with a handkerchief before sliding the scope together, I've never fogged the scope since then. 
If you are interested in the CTC 30 by 75 shop ahead, they are special order items. Your dealer will need some time to get one. Checking the internet, I found several dealers who could get them and found two scopes less than $1,100 new. I also found a used one for around $600. As Swarovski has a lifetime warranty, I wouldn't be afraid to purchase a used one again. I did strip out my mounting threads once. My fault for not getting the scope down tight, and sure enough, Swarovski fixed it for free once I paid the postage. Last summer, I struck a deal between Swarovski and Rockslide to test a few loaner spotting scopes. I could try whatever I wanted, so based on what I've written here, I ordered the ATS 25-50 to by 80 in an angle design. I put about 30 days on the spotter last fall. I really liked it, and the optical performance matched the 30-power CTC. Plus, I had the benefit of going to 50x if I needed. The extra performance, though, comes with a weight and size penalty. If I keep the scope for the 2015 season, my plan is to use it on all my scouting trips. I don't need as much gear for scouting, so weight isn't as critical. And hunting from road camps. But I'll use my old 30 CTC for my backcountry hunts where weight and size matter. One other benefit of the 25-50X was its digiscoping option. Using an Olympus OMD EM5 that Aaron Snyder gave me, I was able to take photos of bucks out to 1,200 yards with stunning clarity and full field of view. This is the first digiscoping option that produced results nearly as good as the big 500mm high-end camera lenses I've used over the years. Most digiscope photos are of poor quality, but not these. You pursue them, you cherish them, and now it's time to protect them. This is the Mule Deer Foundation. Our mission is the conservation of mule deer, black-tailed deer and their habitats, the heart and soul of the West. Join the herd today and help us preserve the legacy of these majestic creatures for generations to come. Your membership supports essential conservation projects, research initiatives, and educational programs that secure a future for mule deer and black-tailed deer. Our deer, our heritage, our responsibility. Don't just witness their journey, be a part of it. Join the herd. Together, we can make a difference. Visit muledeer.org today. High-power tripod binoculars. In the early season, before the freezing temps hit and snow, I glass more. This is for several reasons. The big bucks are typically in the open country and are easier to spot. Warmer temps mean I can sit longer without moving. During this time, I find a high-power 15-20x tripod-mounted binocular very valuable. I started messing around with high-power binoculars over 20 years ago. My dad had an off-brand set, and they were barely tolerable. I discovered the advantages of glassing with both eyes open with them, though. Not coincidentally, I killed my widest buck to date after spotting him from three miles away one early October day with a pair of 16 by 50 tripod-mounted Pentax binoculars. With a good pair, I can comfortably take apart the country from short rifle range to five miles. Being able to glass with that eye strain will lead to longer glassing sessions and more bucks spotted. While high-quality spotting scopes like my Swarovski CTC are excellent optics, by design you're forced to glass through one eye, which is not the way God wired your brain. You'll spot more bucks with both eyes open. If I'm limited by weight or space, I'll take only the spotting scope. But if I can bring both, it's like having and eating my favorite cake, Jody's Cherry Chocolate Cake for the record. Last year, I arranged a trade with Vortex to try their new Vulture HD 15x56 binoculars. At under 500 bucks, these are designed for the hunter who just can't spend $1,000 or more for their Vortex's highly rated Kaibab 15x56s. I put a few dozen hours on the vultures through the scouting and hunting season, and they served me well. I found their clarity good and their brightness exceptional, both provided with no eye strain. They were a little finicky on focused adjustments, but once I figured that out, they were great. I have not tried the Kaibabs, so I can't compare the two, but I'm sure it follows the axiom, buy the best you can afford. Okay, that's my glassing chapter. Man, as I read that, I've made a lot of changes since 2015 because glass advanced. Um, so let's uh, let's kind of take it back apart. So in 2015, um, I had switched over to those uh, Swarovski EL ranges in an 8 power. Prior to that, for 20 years, nearly 20 years, I used the Zeiss 7 power dial lights. 
And a lot of a lot of guys are just like, what a seven power binocular. Um, they're awesome. They, I still love those binoculars. Everything is a trade-off in the optics world. And as you go up in power, you go down in low light performance, you go down in field of view, typically. We'll talk about that in a minute. And um, um, the, the, it, it's not like looking at an HD screen when you're, when you're using higher power binoculars. I, I think it's just the shake that, that, that is introduced in them. Now, I have since this time added a 10 power binocular. We'll, we'll talk about when I use those. But for years, I got by just fine with, the, with those sevens. And, uh, and then when Swarovski came out with their range-finding binocular, I talked about the advantage of, of that. And I'm still only using range-finding binoculars for bow hunting and for rifle hunting. I don't mess around with a separate dedicated range-finder. I just don't like the extra gear. I don't like having to think about it. I don't like the movement that it takes to, to, to look through a binocular and a rangefinder. Um, some guys do it successfully, but I'm, I'm a simple man. And so uh, when Swarovski came out with their EL range, it was in 2021, right around in there, they, um, they fixed that lower limit of 32 millimeter or excuse me, to 32 yard uh, range finding capability. And so now it goes down, I think I've ranged to like 11 yards before. So they fixed all that. They moved the button, uh, the range finding button to the right side of the barrel. It used to be on the left, which was a little awkward for you, although I got used to it easily. Um, uh, but the right is a little more convenient. The optical quality is better in the new ELs than it was in the, the generation that I was using back in 2015. And they added a tracking assistant, which was 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 pretty hoity-toity when it came out with it. You could shoot a line, say, across the canyon if you shot at a buck, and you wanted to be able to walk over there and hit that exact spot. You could shoot a line over there with your rangefinder, get over there, as long as you had a landmark from where you had shot that line from, and you could see it. You could hit that, and you could it could walk you right in. You know, within ten yard circle of of where you had uh, marked. Um, some of the um, mapping apps are now offering that feature, and uh, so it. It, it didn't make it obsolete in the binocular. Again, I'm a simple man. I, I've used it in my binocular. I don't have to open my phone, have two things going. Um, but, but that was the tracking assistant, and it does work. And it's, it's really nice when you shoot at, a, at an animal to be able to just mark where it was and walk right to them. Uh, so anyways, I, that's what I'm using now. Um, and I, I did stay with the 8 power, but I just mentioned 10 power a second ago. Uh, so in... 2022, Zeiss, they're a Rockslide advertiser, um, had uh, come out with some new compact binoculars. Now, for years, compact to me meant like the little Dora Explorer binoculars my, my daughter had, about that much optical quality. You know, they could, could almost fit in a shirt pocket. It, it, they were always a joke. I didn't even... I didn't even think about them, but Zeiss came out with them. They were a little bigger than, than that. You know, they're, they're more like the size of an, an open hand with your fingers, you know, somewhere in there. And they, they have various ones, you know, SFs, uh, that stands for smart focus. That's their, their, uh, wheel technology. That's really fine focus on one wheel. It's, it, it works really well. Um, and then there's their SFL light or SFL, which is uh, smart focus light. So in those lines, they came out with, you know, like a 32 millimeter and a 40 millimeter. I've reviewed them all. If you're interested, um, uh, jump on Rockside, take a look at them. In fact, I just sent my 10 by forties to, uh, Jay Nichols, uh, the mindful hunter on Instagram. Go check him out. And he just did his own review with no input from me. I just sent him to him, said, you run them, see what you think. He just published his review. I haven't even went over and read it yet. But uh, but uh, my whole point in this is once I started testing those Zeiss compacts, I was like, wow, there is a lot of power here for a smaller binocular. You're saving, you know, a half a pound on these binoculars compared to uh, uh, previous generations of binoculars and you know the side you don't even know they're around your neck that's what's so nice and as um, hunters have demanded more tripod binoculars Zeiss good job guys way to go they put a quarter 20 
in these, even in these compact binoculars. They come standard with a quarter 20. My ELs still don't come standard with a quarter 20. I have to send them to the outdoorsman's and uh, have that, uh, that their stud put in. That works great. But, you know, just more money, more time, you know, all that other stuff. And so Zeiss does it right out of the box. And so when I was testing them, they don't have a dedicated rangefinder in them. And of course, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a no-go for me. But for scouting, I don't need a dedicated rangefinder, okay? And so as I was testing these, I thought, man, this is so nice to have a binocular that just hangs loosely around your neck. You don't even know it's there. Um, it's always there. You always take it. It has a quarter 20 uh, tripod mountable. And so I decided, because I, I'm not still hunting as much, well, I'm not still hunting at all when I'm scouting. Um, but, you know, still hunting when you're on your feet a lot. That's where the 7 and 8 power binoculars shine because they reduce all that shake. But in scouting, because I'm sitting a lot, um, I went to 10 powers. I finally did it. I went to 10 powers. And, and as I said in my reading, you know, if, you, if you're actually able to get them steady, 10 powers, are, they are better. You can see more. Other than they typically have a smaller field of view. I've talked about field of view on other episodes. It's the it's the ugly stepsister of specs, but it is one of the most important specs to me is that wide field of view. Well, Zeiss, I don't quite understand how they've done it, but even in their little 32 millimeter objective, it's got a great field of view. I think it's it matches the 40. It might even beat it. Uh, Matt Cashel, one of our writers, is the guy who can explain that the most, um, the best, is, you know, it's not necessarily just objective size that gives you that great field of view. Well, Zeiss has brought all that together in the in these SS and these SFLs, and and they're pretty economical. I mean, the price on these 10 by 40s. I mean, you're probably saving a grand over um, optics in the um, th that are just a little bit bigger that really aren't performing much better. So so that's what I what I've added. I still go back to my uh, eight powers um, during hunting season. I keep the 10 powers in the truck. Uh, you know, they're great great from the window mount stuff like that when I don't need a rangefinder. So uh, that's what I've changed on binoculars. And then since um, I wrote the book too, there's been a lot of changes, um, you know, in spotters and stuff like that. Um, I, I did finally quit using that 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 CTC that I just wrote about the collapsible C CTC it looks like the old pirate scope um, you know Ryan named me the pirate for using that but that was such a good scope and you know if you can find one you know if you're young you don't have a lot of money um, they're, they're still awesome <coughs> excuse me but I did quit using it um, because the Swarovski the ATS 65 millimeter Swarovski says they did not improve it. In that in that chapter I read, remember I did a head-to-head -head with the Swarovski 65 against the, C, the CTC, and I went with the CTC for better field of view, uh, better light transmission, weight, all that stuff. Well, Swarovski says they have not changed the design of the ATS, but I got an ATS a couple of years ago on a deal we worked out with Swarovski for me just to try it, and it's better. I don't know what they did. Maybe it's industry secret. That's why they don't want to. I don't. I have no idea, but it's better. And our friends at SNS Archery, they picked it as one of the top scopes last year in their reviews. They're just awesome, and uh, so I have been carrying that around the last couple of years and quit using the the ctc the the optical clarity was better in the ats than my ctc um, and i had a i have both the eyepieces 25 to 50 which is the wide angle eyepiece and then i had the 20 to 60 i've played with them both it's hard to pick a winner between those two but it is nice to have the choice where my old ctc it was just a straight 30 power so anyways i wanted to read that chapter to you because you know wherever you're at in life you can you can figure out how to get good enough gear to get 
kill big mule deer. And you'll see, you've seen my evolution with clothing, with optics in this reading that I just did. And so, you know, don't go out and break the bank. You know, you can, you can, you can do well. And there's been a lot of other companies that have, that have come out. I shouldn't say a lot, but some notable companies that have really upped their optics game, Maven being one of them since I wrote this book. Now, I don't currently own any Mavens, but I've reviewed the Mavens and they're good. They're good. They're, they're, you know, think Vortex Razor line, you know, kind of right in there. They might not be up with the Alpha Glass, but they're really good glass for the money. And uh, so ch check out the Mavens. I ran their 11 power binoculars. Um, I've, I ran their spotting scope for a review, their, their small spotting scope and their large spotting scope. And that, you know, that was a few years ago. They've probably even made some improvements since then so you know definitely look at them and the used market Rockslide has an optics forum i think it's it's sponsored by our friends at outdoorsman and they they put you good used optics that they've taken in on trade in there so you know there's a lot of demand for optics so it's not like you're getting them pennies on the dollar but you can save quite a bit of money so you know uh there, there's ways to get your hands on this glass but what i said in the reading it's the glasser more than it is the glass okay um I had talked about in there that usually I was spotting more deer than the guys that were running the 10 powers. Well, that was before I started hunting with Travis Hobbs, and uh, he hunts with uh, 10 power NLs. And it, he just has incredible eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm not blowing smoke. The guy's eyes are just incredible at spotting game. And so, you know, that kind of went out the window that uh, when I when I started hunting with him, is he, he does just fine with with tens through the hunting season and everything. Uh, you're probably wondering about the NLs. I, I love them. I, they just don't have a rangefinder in them. If they had a rangefinder in them, I would get some. Uh Back to the spotter, though, the, and the, the things that have changed since I released uh, this book, um, the Swarovski BTX. I guess it's not really a spotter. It's a it's a high power binocular. Um, it gets to game changer status. Uh, there were high power binoculars out before the BTX came out, but they didn't have the Swarovski experience with them, and they were heavier. Um, some of them, um, it, I had looked through some of them and I just never ended up with a pair cause I thought, nah, just wasn't that impressed when the BTX came out, w the BTX is simply an eyepiece that goes on the Swarovski ATX objectives and they have objective lens. I think, don't quote me on this, 65, 85, 90, 115, something like that. And, and, and you can. The X means they're interchangeable. You can put binoculars on them, the binocular eyepiece, which is the BTX, or you can put spotting scope eyepieces on them. It's kind of a cool system. I don't have the whole system. All I have is the BTX, and I originally got it in 90, um, 95. Ryan Avery gave it to me. Thanks, Ryan. I'm glad you live in northern Idaho, and they were kind of worthless to him. So he gave them to me, and I just fell in love with them. And uh, I've since added the 115 um, objective and you know we're talking big heavy glass um, very very niche glass you don't get to use it a lot but when you're using it it is incredible um, I got a rock slide review that came out a couple years ago it was before I bought the the bigger objective it's just on the 90 or 95 whatever objective that is go read the review on it. I tell you everything about all the advantages and why it really you won't hear me say game changer very often but why it meets game changer status it changes how you glass okay but if i had to choose between just a btx and a 15 if i couldn't afford both i'd still go with the 15 so there's more utility in a 15 power tripod mounted binocular than the um, you'll use them more all right btx's are very specialized you can't take them everywhere and get them to work um so talking about the 15s now uh i did the um I, I ran those vultures for a couple years. Then I ran the Vortex Kaibabs. They were they were fine. They were adequate. A um, lot of value in the in the uh, Vortex Kaibabs. But then I got my hands on a pair of Swarovski SLC 15 by 56, and then I've stayed with them. They they did have a better glassing overall experience to them. But although when I put them on a on an optical chart. Um, the 1951 USAF optical chart that we use. It's a resolution chart. I've talked about it before. All the writers at Rockslide use it to evaluate glass. And um, the, the smaller the line you can resolve, the better they score. The Kaibabs actually resolve one line better than the Swarovski SLCs. They, they did. But 
field of view in the SLCs was better. You know, there's real field of view, that's the spec in the book, and then there's apparent field of view, my word, but it's just like, what? how does it feel when you look through it? And so the SLC had a better feel to them, but you're going to pay a lot more for them. And I keep hearing rumors that they've been discontinued. I haven't, I haven't checked that out yet, but there's a lot of them out there if you want to pick up a set. Okay, so the BTXs I've added, I've gone to the SLC 15 by 56, and then finally, the other big change, that was this year, uh, Sam Weaver is going to release it in a couple of weeks, the Rock Slide Best of 2023. All the writers get together and throw in their favorite piece of gear that they reviewed that year, um, or even in previous years, you know, something that they're still using, something notable. And then a few of us even put in our fails, you know, like, hey, this, this piece of gear didn't work. It's pretty cool. Sam's heading that up this year. He'll release it on the podcast. He's interviewing a bunch of our writers, but you'll see when that comes out, probably in January, I picked this the new Swarovski ATC. Um, and they also have a CTC. These are their compact ones. This is different than the CT that I was just writing about in the book. That that was the collapsible one. This this is their um, their compact spotters, and they are uh, available in angle, and they are available in straight. If you haven't seen them yet, they're pretty awesome. Think of two Coke cans stacked on top of each other. That's about how big they are, um, and um, very light very high performance glass. They are a 17 to a 40 power with a 56 millimeter lens. So the lens is only nine millimeters smaller than the 65, but they're so much more compact. And um, I got mine this summer, played around with it a little bit, thought that I would just use it into the, for summer scouting, you know, some of my backcountry stuff. Man, I ended up using it all fall. I loved it. If you're, if you're a long-time listener, mine showed up broken, bad on use swirl. Got to watch that quality control. Um, they fogged up immediately in warm weather. Turned out to just be a screw loose. They fixed them. They turned it around quickly, overnight labels, all that stuff. They, they made good on it, and I've probably got 25 days on them since then. And they're, they're really good. Great um, field of view. You keep hearing me talk about that great field of view. I love the 17 millimeter to be able to go down to that low of power because you know what that does? Gives you a big field of view and it makes them a little steadier. You can actually hand handhold this spotting scope for quick glances. You don't have to put it on on a on a tripod. Um, you know, you, know, you usually do, but you know how it is. Sometimes you see something across the canyon, you're like, oh, I don't want to dig my tripod out. You can just grab the spotter, pull it against your chest, take a look through it. Works really well with the angled version. Um, Travis Hobbs, that's about got me talked into a straight version. I may do that, may trade this one off and go to straight um, just because of the switching between angled and, and and then straight when you're looking through your binoculars on a tripod. It is a pain. It is a pain. And that's one reason Travis is such a good glasser. He's fast. I'm over there screwing around, you know, trying to trying to switch off my, my binocular with my ATC and I'm I have to lower my tripod column for the ATC. He's already there. And then not to mention the difficulty of using an angled inside of a truck. That's harder too. Although I've done it. You know, I've done it a lot. But um, anyways, you might see me with a straight one. But take a look at the those. The digiscoping capability with them is awesome um, and very happy with them. Um, very happy with them. So uh, anyways, uh, that's kind of some of the changes I, I've made since I wrote the book. And uh, appreciate you guys listening in on this. Uh, we always have these episodes posted on Rockslide. You'll see there's a sub forum for the Rockcast. That's where me, Sam, Travis post. Um, and, and we can take comments or questions on there if you have any. Just, just jump on there. Uh, most of these episodes end up as an Instagram post. Um, I've got a guy that helps us with that. Uh, uh, Luke, thank you, Luke. Uh, and if you see that on there, I usually check those posts, too, if you have any questions on there. So appreciate you guys uh, listening in on to the Rockcast. And, uh, gosh, what do we got here? By the time this episode launches, we got about a week until Christmas. Um, uh, hey, God bless you all. Remember the reason for the season. If I don't get to talk to you again uh, uh, before Christmas, remember what it's all about. Christ is in the word Christmas. That's what it's all about. So don't forget that. Okay, God bless you all. Thanks for listening in. Catch you on the next one.